I remember exactly where I was when I hit upon this certain passage in Nietzsche's On the Genealogy of Morality. I was sitting in a room with no windows, but it felt flooded with light because he gave me words for an unnamed feeling I had living in my heart. In his second essay on guilt, he talked about the debt that occurs when we enter into a relationship, and it was as if all of my relationships started to make sense in a new way. There is something that happens to us when you and I agree we're in relationship, something that flows from my eyes into your eyes and from your eyes into my eyes. It is a sacred acknowledgement of our mutual being. Nietzsche, who was obsessed with his own independence, named this thing that happens between us a debt that we owe one another. In our acknowledgement, I owe you something, and you owe me something. Labeling the sacred acknowledgement a debt sounds ugly, but in another way, it's also illuminating as it helps speak to the origins of violence. When I no longer want to be indebted to you, when I want to be free from the bond of our acknowledgement, I must deny you. I must reject you. I look away, and in doing so, violence happens. You no longer exist, and when you no longer exist, I can do anything to you. We live in a culture that has turned us into commodities to one another. The woman who tailors my clothes is important to me, provided that her work is good. If not, I hire someone else. I am important to people, provided that my work is good. If not, they hire someone else. And in a commodity culture, our value is tied to our ability to produce. So many of our relationships these days are paid for, and when they stop working, we swap one person out for another. Some relationships are very complicated, and the debt of acknowledgement weighs on us terribly. There is a sense of obligation that exists against our will and perhaps even against our own well-being. We can be confined by our obligations to others, which perhaps is one reason we are so drawn to the promises of a commodity culture. This sense of obligation is easily resolved there. We create a substitute for our obligation, a substitute that terminates our debt. Here is money. Our relationship is complete. Perhaps we thought this is what we wanted. We were told that independence would give us freedom, but instead we are anxious. We don't know who our neighbors are. We feel increasingly disenfranchised politically. The world of our children has grown smaller because we're afraid of what they might encounter. We feel alone, and we resolve our loneliness through overwork, or drugs and alcohol, or spending money, or sex. And we know this doesn't actually solve the anxiety and the loneliness, but we don't know what else to do. In a culture that values production, it is easy to see why our elders have become so disposable, burdens on families instead of blessings. But we are not commodities, and the healthier, safer world we dream of prioritizes the sacred acknowledgement, 
the debt we owe one another. This doesn't mean that people won't come in and out of our lives, but when we lose someone we are invested in, we are left with a hole, a void that cannot be filled because the relationship was not commodified. When we are invested in other people, we are not replaceable. The paradox of a commodity culture is that we believe we are safer if we're able to provide for our own freedom. So we work jobs to give us money to purchase the life we think we want. But we can never control life. We get older. People fall out of love with us. The career we have ends because the field we work in disappears. We think money will bring us security, but money is just the substitute we created for what we really want, which is to be heard and held and cared for. This is a type of security that is so lacking in our world. The pursuit of money is a form of compensation for the absence of connection and intimacy. The freedom from obligation sold to us by the purveyors of commodity culture actually leaves us more lonely. We have been told that eradicating the debt we developed in intimacy is a good thing, but we are not happy with this so-called freedom. As a man raised to believe that I was in charge of my own life, raised in the shadow of Nietzsche to believe in the power of independence, I now pray for relief from this thinking. I pray for a surrender of control, for a release of outcomes. I pray that we find a way to allow for disappointment in one another without making us replaceable. Which is not to say that we will be together forever, but we still insist that there is something sacred between us even as we separate. Transgressions will occur, but in the sacred world, there is always room for redemption. The vision of a healthy future does not begin with my independence, but with the idea that I am not going to make it on my own, that I am dependent on you and you are dependent on me an uncomfortable stance because my security relies on having faith that you will be there for me, which can be really scary for those of us living in a culture that tells us that we can be so easily replaced. But in every face-to-face encounter, we leave something behind. What do we want that to be? Let us pray for the answer. Let us Pray for something more expansive than we can imagine and have faith that if we bind ourselves to one another, we will see miracles. Thank you for listening to this meditation. You can find a written version of it on my website at ianwhitemar.com slash meditations. Who are the people in your life who would really benefit from this meditation? Pick one. Send them a link. Maybe start a conversation about your experience with the sacred acknowledgement, with the sacred debt that we owe one another. Ask if they have experienced anything similar. The spiritual journey isn't something we do on our own. It is much richer when we have traveling partners.
I hope you'll join me again next week.